Good morning. First, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity this morning to share God's word with you. Matt mentioned I've, uh, I attend Metro Baltimore Seminary, and uh, it is my hope to uh, graduate uh, this coming May. Uh, so it's been a, a very interesting three-year journey, and God has used it to teach me a great deal about himself, his love, and his steadfastness. Um, it, it is such a privilege to be here. I, I am very blessed to be able to stand here today because of the work of God in my own life. Before I share this message, though, I, it, I've been asked by a couple of you, what do I plan to do after seminary? Um, you might see this gray hair and think, you know, what's God got left for me? And I know I certainly have asked that question as well. Uh, when I asked that question of my session, they reminded me that um, Abraham was 100 years old when God called him, <clears throat> and uh, Moses was 70. So I guess God doesn't care about our age as much as he cares about our heart, and that's what I'm looking forward to is whatever God lays before me in, in the next step of my adventure. I'm going to reread the text um, just, just so that you hear it again before I dig into it. And uh, it, It's a really interesting text, and I picked the passage out of Mark. Uh, Mark is most likely... Uh, was dictated by Peter to John Mark. Uh, Mark was um, the young man who ran away naked uh, in, in the garden when, when the guards came, uh, and he never really talks about himself in this gospel. But you get this sense when you read Mark that he is like, got to get this down, got to get it down. And so you'll hear a little bit about that as I go through this message today. Um, so, so let me start by reading the passage one more time. And there arose, and, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him and to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon was gone. So have you ever felt like you were really, really busy? Like just there was just too much on your plate to get done? Or if, you know, maybe it's been a full day at work and you're coming home and looking for an opportunity to relax, or it's been a week where things just piled up and didn't go right and you just spent extra time on everything. And when this kind of stuff happens, and I do say when, not if, because it happens to all of us, do you just feel exhausted and feel like you need to get away from everything? When you plan to do that and you plan to get away, do you ever have something go wrong or some, some kind of an interruption that you weren't expecting? And then you have to deal with that and how do you react to that? So how would you feel if you had planned something and you were just getting ready to walk out the door and instead of opening the door, a knock comes from the outside, and it's a friend that says, I need to talk to you. 
Or would you be welcoming to that person? Or would you, oh, I'm busy, I need to leave? Or maybe you cut some excuse? Or, or maybe you invite them in. How do you react? I have to admit, when I read Mark, and, I, and the passages that lead up to this passage, Jesus has been doing, 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 doing. And there's even one passage about three chapters earlier where Jesus was up all night. The Sabbath had ended, and he spends the whole night talking to a crowd, healing people, and then he gets up in the morning and goes away, and even then his disciples come and find him and interrupt him and say, hey, wait, we've got plans. Come on, go with us. And in all of this, we need to look at how Jesus reacts. And so here, we, here we're not told exactly why he's going away, but it does say he wants to hide. I don't know if you noticed that. Do you ever think of Jesus, the Son of God, wanting to get away and hide? I don't know about you, but that brings me a little bit of comfort when I want to get away and hide. Um, so Mark says, though, immediately he shows up there, and immediately this woman shows up at the door. And so when we look at how Jesus deals with this kind of interruption, it can actually help us understand how to bring Jesus into a conversation when we see these kinds of interruptions. And most people that read this passage don't look at it as a gospel-oriented passage. But I think I'm going to show you today how Jesus uses this to talk about himself and what he can do. So the thing that I hope we all take away from this is that whenever... And wherever we are, we can still be available to share the gospel. In this passage, Jesus shows us that we can reach out to others. Now, I know some people, I know when I read this passage, the first few times I would scratch my head and say, that's not how I would go with this passage. Jesus seems to brush her off. We're told in chapter 24, I mean in verse 24, that he travels to Capernaum. And from Capernaum to Tyre. I don't know if anybody's bothered to look this up, but it's about 43 miles. And of course, back then it was by foot. And the average person uh, that is in good health does about three to four miles an hour and covers roughly 28 to 30 miles in a day, which means this was more than a one-day journey. Also back then, people didn't usually travel alone or even in small groups. They carried in traveled in caravans, and caravans moved slower than that. So this could have been a two- to three-day journey from where he was to where he wanted to get away and hide. And then immediately the knock comes on the door and says, can I talk to you? Well, she didn't come in saying, can I talk to you? She came in begging for help. She is a mother. Her daughter is ill. And she wants Jesus to do something about it. And she is not going to take no for an answer. Because she's there, she's going to beg, she's going to plead until he responds to her. We're not told how she knew about Jesus. We're not told how she understood that he could help her. But she obviously knew these things. But Jesus' response seems very uncharacteristic of Jesus. It seems kind of harsh and almost like brushing her off. And his, you know, he says, you know, I'm here to feed the children, not the dogs. So we need 
important to look at this because that doesn't sound like Jesus. What is he doing here? What is he trying to accomplish? Because Jesus loves people, right? And Jesus helps people, and he's been doing that. He's shown that. So how many people here are dog lovers? Any? I, I know I am. Um, most of the time when we look at dogs, we kind of think, in America at least, that they're part of our family. You know, we love them, we care for them. Our heart breaks when they die. We roll them in. But we're talking about a first century here. And in the first century, dogs weren't necessarily the kind of view that we have. Um, they, they are almost never viewed in a popular way. Uh, just to give you an idea, uh, the Romans thought of dogs as animals to be sacrificed or to be eaten. And the idea of eating dog does not appeal to me. Uh, and the, in the Old Testament, most of the references to dogs is about uncleanliness, about being outside of God's will. Uh, most of the dogs of that period were actually scavengers. Uh, people didn't raise them as pets. They ran around the streets picking whatever scraps they could find and fighting over the little pieces they could find in the street. Not how we generally think about dogs, but you need to understand this in order to understand what Jesus is going to do. So Jesus uses a term here, little dogs, or we would say puppies. And some people say, well, that's because he's just trying to soften this, and it makes it sound more affectionate. I would say that's putting our 21st century mind back in the first century. Um, they were just small dogs. And they, weren't, they may have been held around the house for a while, but as soon as they were old enough, they were kicked out on the street because they were more of a nuisance than anything else. But I like what Tim Keller says about this. He says that Jesus uses the way word puppies here because he knows he's talking to a mother, and she knows that there's an order in a family. And so when you look at how families work, you see there's an order and you know the children eat first. And so that's, Tim Keller talks about that as this is what Jesus was getting to. But he was using a first century more, um, metaphor, but this is what, what the essence of what he was getting to is. But let me ask you a question. How would you respond if you went to ask someone for help and they gave you this kind of an answer? You might ask yourself, how do we see Jesus reaching out um, to others in this situation? Is, is he really reaching out, or is he pushing her away? Well, first and foremost, Jesus allows this opportunity to happen. It's an interruption in his schedule, but he allows it. His answer might sound a little bit harsh to us, but he didn't dismiss her outright. And Mark doesn't tell us this. And again, remember I said Mark's just trying to get stuff down. There's not a lot of detail here. But if you go over to Matthew, Matthew tells us that the disciples were urging Jesus to send her away. And that's not what he does. He deals with the situation by using this metaphor of telling her there's an order in how things work. So, in essence, he's giving her a ray of hope. Think about it this way. If someone came up to your house and you were trying to feed your kids, you would probably feed them first before you turned your attention to the other person, regardless of who they are. Most of us would take care of our kids first because our kids are very important and they 
our next generation. So Jesus is trying to explain to her, there's an order to things, but your turn is coming. And he's giving her hope by just using the word first. First the children. Not the dogs don't ever get fed, but first the children. And then others. And we could read it as if he doesn't care about her situation, but that's not what's happening here. He's demonstrating something to her by listening to what she said and explaining the order of things to her. Now, she could have gotten angry, turned around and left. She could have just said, oh, this wasn't worth my time. But she didn't. She stays to find out more. And I'm going to speak about her response in a few minutes. But let's first talk about interruptions and uh, like this and how we share Jesus. I have his permission to share this, but a friend of ours recently was taking a trip to Alaska. And uh, we're real good friends, and he often bounces ideas off me. And I got a phone call saying, can I come over and talk to you? And I said, sure. He goes, well, on this trip, we're trying to decide whether or not to take a satellite phone and whether or not to invest another $1,000 in order to get a certain kind of insurance so that if the camper we're renting breaks down, it gets fixed everywhere. And uh, I just want your opinion on this. So he's rent they're renting this camper, and they're going to go. And I was like, well, what's the situation there? He goes, well, on the roads in Alaska, there's not a lot of traffic. He said, sometimes it's hours or days before you see another car. So if you break down, you're kind of stuck. And, and I said, well, what about the insurance? He said, he said, well, the insurance is just covering the first $3,000 of damage. And I said, well, you're paying 1000 and so there's only 2000 that it's really covering. And so there, everything else is, is okay. And I said, you know, what are the, what's the likelihood the thing's going to break down? Because they use all brand new, you know, less than a year old campers. So, so we talked about that. We decided to rent the satellite phone, which I think was a good idea, and he decided not to get the insurance. Just to let you know, though, how safe, like I said, a couple hours to a couple of days, but the law in Alaska is if you see a broken down vehicle, you are required by law to stop, find out what's wrong, and report it to the next authority, which could be hours away, <laughs> but still that way somebody is, will be coming out. But I turned to him and I said to him, regardless of all this, how are you going to feel if your vacation gets interrupted this way? And he looked at me and he goes, well, I'm going to be upset. Of course I'm going to be upset. It's going to ruin my vacation. And my next question was, well, how do you know God didn't put you there just to talk to somebody who may stop to help you? And his whole attitude changed. And he said, I never look at interruptions that way. And to be frank, I don't always look at interruptions that way. It, it, standing up here, it's really easy to give you good examples. I could probably spend the whole day giving you bad ones, okay? Um, but he, he stopped for a moment, and uh, he goes, why is this so hard? And I think that's the next question we have to ask, because sharing the gospel is difficult for us. And I think partially because we don't look for the opportunity. We get all wrapped up in our own life. We get busy. We, don't, we have schedules, and we, we, we live by calendars, and we live by you know, appointments and every, all this stuff. Have you ever gotten home from someplace and said, you know, I was in this conversation, and I should have said whatever about something. 
I really missed an opportunity. And that's what I'm talking about. We tend to get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we miss these opportunities to talk about important things. So I think we need to learn to look for these opportunities. I think we need to learn to look at interruptions like this lady with Jesus. We need to learn to look at those interruptions as an opportunity to talk about the God that we serve and how much Jesus Christ loves us. In Evangelism Explosion, which is a program that was a long time ago, it had a, it was the whole goal of the program was to teach people how to present the gospel, and it was, it was very effective for a, a nation that was aware of what church is. I, I would say the, as a program, it's not so effective today because it uses a lot of church-type examples and, and things like that, and a lot of people today have never graced the inside of a church. However, they had a term for chance meetings, and they called them divine appointments. And of all the things I've taken away from Evangelism Explosion, I have never forgotten that term. Because we look at interruptions as something that happens, and they interrupt our life, and they are scheduled. But that term means that God put that person in our life at that time for a reason. So... The Great Commission, you know, I, I, I really love the, the first phrase of that, but sadly I don't like the way most of the modern translations translate it. Most of them, you know, go and make disciples, but it really is as you are going, make disciples. So everywhere we go, whatever we're doing, we're supposed to be of a mindset where we are ready to talk about Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about. Even in our interruptions, we need to be doing this. I have her permission to share this. My wife is a, an excellent cook, and she has such a gift of hospitality. She loves having people over for dinner. And I have to tell you that we could have 10 extra people and no one would walk away hungry. But she invites 10 people and at the last minute, somebody calls and says, can I bring a friend? And you would think that the world stopped. Of course, she says yes. Then she hangs up the phone, and she turns to me and says, why did I wait to the last minute? Why? <laughs> because it changed, and it's not what we planned. Now, gently remind her that there's more than enough food and one or two or even three extra people aren't going to make that much of a difference. And she knows that in her heart, but it's just not the way that she plans it. And to be, just to be fair, when they get there, she's as gracious as if they were on the list from day one. So, um, but she has to work through that moment of interruption. And we all do. In our own way, we all do. So we need to learn to think how we can introduce Jesus into conversations like this rather than how we can focus on being interrupted. Sometimes we worry about what to say, or maybe they won't like what they'll say and they'll reject me for it, or we just don't see it as an opportunity. So I, what I'm suggesting is that instead of worrying about what to say or what the results are or what, how they're reacting is we just need to show people that we care for them. 
emotionally, physically, spiritually, that we care. Because that's what we're called to do. That's what God calls us to do, is to care for his people. And it's a really old cliche, but I think it's so appropriate. And, and it says, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. If you take a moment and look at Jesus and how he presents the gospel everywhere, there's only one place where Jesus starts with the gospel and all of scripture. And that young man walked away from him. Every other place he starts with what's going on in the person's life and what is unfolding before he ever gets to the gospel. And in some cases, he never does. They walk away before he ever gets to that point. We get so concerned about sharing the gospel that we don't stop to talk about the love and the caring that God gives us. And that is where I think that we, we, um, we need to be. One thing that I remember constantly over and again is I don't need to start with the gospel because Jesus didn't. You know, I don't need to dump that onto somebody's shoulder. And I, I, I forget the name of the fellow, but somebody came up with this scale and say, uh, minus 100 is you're definitely going to hell, and minus 100 is you're definitely going to heaven, and zero is the moment of conversion. If by talking to somebody and showing them that I care because God cares for me can move them from a minus 10 to a minus 9, I should be content because it's not my job to change their heart. It's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to show them the love of God so that they will be open to the Spirit's prompting in their life. The other thing about not worrying about what to say is I can't goof it up. I could say something totally, totally wrong, and if that person is on God's elect list, I can't mess it up. God is responsible for changing their heart, not me. What I can do is be genuine, be honest, and when I do goof it up, say, hey, look, you know that thing I was talking about? I had it all wrong. You know, and I've done that more than one time in my life. But in every instance when we look at Jesus, he always shows people that he cared about what they were going through. Even in this situation, he does, she's coming because her daughter is sick. And he doesn't even address the daughter until he addresses her heart. Why are you here? You know, do you have a place at the, at the table? So we should talk about Jesus and we should introduce him into our conversations. People may not want to hear about Jesus, but they can't deny what he is doing in our lives. If we talk, instead of trying to talk Jesus into their life, if we talk about what he's doing in our life, then hopefully they will live up or, or step up to the plate and ask more questions. And that he lived the life that we can't live, he took on a penalty that we can't pay, and he died on a cross and rose again and sits with power, with God, forever. We know that because of the changes he's done in our life, the changes that he has done in our heart, and we can demonstrate that. And we refer to the gospel as the greatest gift. I remember hearing that when I, when I first understood what the gospel was, that somebody said, that's the greatest gift that you can ever get. And to me that meant, wow, I've got a gift, I need to share it. But I'm always amazed at how many people take that gift and put it in the closet till next year, pull it back out, you know, dust it off, put it back in the closet. It's a gift to be shared with everybody. And we need to look for opportunities to do that. What a great gift we have. And none of this happens by accident.
God has a plan for everything. It is never by accident. It's also important, and I've already said it, to remember that Jesus is the only person that saves. I can't save. You can't save. Only Jesus can change a heart and turn it towards God. All we can do is be examples of his love, talk about his love, show his love, and help people emotionally, physically, and spiritually to grow closer to a God that loves them more than they can ever understand until the moment they understand who Jesus is. So we can share the gospel by asking questions and presenting challenges. Remember I asked you about how you would respond, and we're almost back to that point. But let's look a minute at how the woman responds. So first you need to understand who she is. She's not a Jew. She is not a male. And Jesus is a male Jew. Male Jews in the first century did not speak to females in public. Okay? It's just a fact. And they especially didn't speak to Gentiles. And Syrophoenicia is a city that in the Old Testament is always referred to as being extremely wealthy and, and a godless oppressor of Israel. And this lady is from that city. So Jesus is going to cross cultural boundaries. He's going to cross, cross gender boundaries just to speak to the heart of this issue with this woman. Why did she even come to him? You know, I, we don't, we're not really told that, but you know, was she just looking for some traveling magician that she thought could heal? Because obviously stories of him healing people were traveling all over the region. Was she um, just expecting a miracle worker? We don't know, but we do know she's a mother, and we do know that she was driven by the problem with her daughter. I asked you earlier how you'd respond if you came to somebody and asked them for help and they basically said, I don't help dogs. Well, that's not what Jesus said, okay? But I did ask, so would you have gotten angry? Would you have left feeling rejected? Maybe even you would have demanded that you deserved to have a response. But this woman, a Gentile, a pagan, gets what Jesus is offering, and she accepts it, and she bounces the metaphor right back to him, and she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What a response. She's not there demanding something. She is not there saying, you know, I have a place at the table, sit me down. She accepts that she doesn't have that place, and instead of demanding, she grovels on the floor and begs for her daughter. You know, I'll take the crumbs. Just give them to me. I know that even the crumbs will be a blessing. Tim Keller says Martin Luther was amazed at this story because he sees the gospel in it. The woman saw the gospel in it, that you are more wicked than you ever believed, but at the same time more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope for. Because Jesus' response to her is, wow, what faith. And then he tells her, go home, and her daughter is healed. Now you notice, he didn't tell her about his dying for her sins. He didn't tell her about being raised from, you know, put up on the cross and, and being raised again. But she went away understanding that this was more than a miracle worker and that this was someone who cared for the world 
in a particular order, the children first and then the rest, but that he understood that. And after the cross, that becomes much more clear when Jesus in the Great Commission says, go to all nations. Uh, it, but, but at this point, um, there's a, actually in Matthew, there's a place that he says, you know, I'm here for the children of Israel. Um, so this was an interruption that, while we would say it was unexpected, I would say God had appointed it to happen, and Jesus deals with it in a way that most of the time I think we would not. So it should help us understand, first off, there's no single method. I mean, just, just briefly, if, if most people remember the story of the woman at the well in John. Okay, that's another place where Jesus crosses the cultural gender boundaries and you couldn't have asked for a more sinful person. She's, had, she's gone through five husbands and she's living with a guy. Okay? And in those days, that was, the, that was a pretty bad situation. So, um, but Jesus brings her in and talks about spiritual things with her. And, and eventually a whole town believes because of her testimony. And so Jesus shows us in dealing with this, one is we should be crossing boundaries. You know, not just the people we're comfortable with. We should be crossing boundaries with anybody that passes, that God puts in our path and passes our way. We should be, we should be open to sharing a message that speaks to their life through what God has done in ours. I think the danger is we try to speak our life into theirs, and please, that's not what I'm saying. What we need to say is we need to be honest about what God has done for us so that they can see what he can do for them. And that is, that is the way to soften hearts and to open them up. And we do it by asking questions and we present challenges. And challenges make us uncomfortable. Um, sometimes asking questions make us uncomfortable because maybe they don't want to share. One of my life verses is 1 Peter 3.15, and I could probably quote it, but I tend to start uh, paraphrasing it. I'm actually read it. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Peter tells us here that we should try to live our lives in such a way that people notice we're different. And when they ask us why we're different, we need to be able to explain to them what God has done in our life. So I'm going to give you an example. And again, I've already said I blow this plenty of times. There's plenty of times I get home and say, wow, I wish I had said or I wish I had done. But some time ago in my life, I worked at the University of Maryland Hospital. We lived in Randallstown, so it was a nice, easy bike ride to the to the uh, subway station, ride the subway station to work, ride the subway, sta uh, subway back to uh, Randallstown and, and hook the bike up to our house. I left work one day and I was walking up to, and so I got off at a certain time and the trains run every 15 minutes and it was a 12 and a half minute walk, brisk walk from downhill, uphill to the subway station and my goal every day was to make that 15-minute train. I leave the hospital, I'm heading up the hill, catch out of the corner of my eye this guy who is laying there, bleeding a little bit, and moaning and groaning, and I walk right by him. I probably got about 10 feet by, and God stopped me in my tracks and says, he needs help. 
And I'm like, I need to get home. <laughs> there was nothing important on my schedule that evening. There was nothing. I need to get home. I took another three steps, and God says, no, he needs help. And I turned around, and I went back, and I was dressed about like this. He was in torn-up clothes, dirty, filthy, scabs all over, blood all over. I bent down, I picked him up, and I walked him back to the hospital, to the emergency room, and sat there with him talking about Jesus until they took him back. And he said to me, no one in my life, no one has ever stopped and tried to help me. They all just want to walk by me. I don't know what long-term impact that may have had on this man. I don't even know if he ever moved from a minus nine to a minus eight or whatever. But I knew, do know that that was an appointment that God put in my life. It was an interruption that I didn't want. And I think there's many interruptions in our lives that we just don't want because they look ugly or they look different and, and they're not who I would associate with. Um, while I was sitting there waiting for him to be taken in, several of my coworkers walked by and you would have thought I had leprosy because they looked the other way and kept on work walking. And the next day I got nothing but challenges about why would you do that? And I didn't do it for him I didn't do it for them. I did it because it is what God laid on my heart to do. And that interruption was one of the things that helped me start looking for other interruptions in my life. And it's a challenge for all of us as we do that. So whether we're broken down on the side of the road or we're finding out we have extra guests coming for dinner or we're handling some interruption that God just put in our path today, he's interrupting our schedule. The hard part for us is to change our mindset and not look at them as interruptions, but as opportunities. So when you see these things, it's real easy to think of an interruption as an obstacle, something I just have to get around and get back on schedule. But my challenge to all of us today is that we need to look for these opportunities. Now there are signs all over the place right now that say, be kind. And I love those signs, but I hate them at the same time because the implication is be kind no matter what. Jesus was not kind here because kindness without truth isn't love. And our goal is to show love, not kindness. And if somebody needs to hear the harsh truth, we need to do it, as Peter says, with gentleness and respect. So we need to learn how to temper what we say and what we do with the love of God. But we need to be looking for these opportunities. So my challenge for all of us is to continue to look for divine opportunities and look for an opportunity to bring Jesus and his good news into the conversations that we might all share them together. Let's pray. Father, in our own lives, I would be willing to venture that not a day goes by that something unplanned comes along. Teach us to handle these in a way that gives glory to you Teach us to handle them as your son taught us. Help us to sit down with people to, to understand them, to see what their life needs, rather than just trying to put a Band-Aid on something and move forward. Lord, in my own life, I pray that you would continue to draw me closer to you, that you would continue to draw all of us closer to you, that we might be more like your son, Jesus, until the day we stand in glory.